0: Uh, hello there. Hello again. Um, just as, as people are um, taking their seats, uh, can I just say that um, the, the session today has been reco- is being recorded and will be available on our website, hillheadbaptistchurch.co.uk. Uh, so if you've missed anything, you want to listen to it again, or you've got some friends who might have enjoyed hearing that, then it will be available later this week. Um, now, there is a microphone over here, which Anita is going to uh, come round with. If you've got a question or contribution, then please wait until the microphone reaches you, uh, simply because it means that everybody can hear the question, and we don't have to repeat it. So um, I, I'm looking for people who might want to ask questions, make points, make comments, start, start a, a rammy, or um, whatever. Uh, so if you, if you let me know wh- wh- where you are, and I will... Um, know who we're coming to and I'll get Anita to come to you. So, anybody want to kick off? Okay, here we are, down here.
1: Um, Do you think that actually we need to teach the parents to play first so that they can actually get the sense of how to actually let the children
0: play?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's very. No, no, no. You can sit there. All Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a a very good question, Um, and I I I think that question is wrapped up in in, in a larger question, which is kind of what what do we mean by by education, and and what is the the, the 360 degree view of that, and and that view has has certainly got to take uh, into account the the home environment and what happens at home. I mean I, I think you know we we, we we think that we've educated people when we've taught them to read and write and count. Um and actually these are these are tools for, for, for learning. Uh, they're important skills. Um but for me um they're they're not um the totality of it, of education. Um there's uh, again a lot of scientific evidence about the input of uh the home environment um, on a child's um, learning um, and future prospects. Um, there's recently a comparative longitudinal study done over 27 countries um, by, uh, sponsored by the University of Nebraska, which demonstrates that just having a few books in the home um, uh, will uh, uh, give the, uh, the, the equivalent of three years' extra education um, to, to a child. As, as for play, I think, again, we're um, in, a, in, a, in a very difficult situation as parents. Um, it used to be um, that uh, kids would go out and play for the whole day and then come back for dinner, uh, whatever, and, and parents would be, you know, quite happy with that. Um, and now there's a whole discourse of fear around unsupervised children and about what adults might do to children. Actually, if you look at the statistics, um, there are no more abductions of children Um, than there were 50 years ago. It's just that they reported a lot more. Um, And so the media stokes this fear. Um, We had this with um, Rebecca Brooks' infamous... Um, uh, crusade against pedophiles, naming pedophiles in, in, in various communities and things like that. Um, so we're, we're, we're terribly uh, sort of conflicted about how to achieve this kind of thing with our children. And at the same time, uh, people in Britain especially are working much longer hours um than, uh, uh people in in Europe uh, for example in many countries of Europe so um we're squeezed at, 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 at you know at every sort of conceivable angle um we we're, we we're, we're, we're squeezed because we get home i don't know about you guys i get home I'm exhausted <laughs> you know um and 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 so um finding the time uh for productive play allowing environments in which uh play and exploration can take uh, take place within the home environment um, and external to the home, uh, becomes very, very difficult for us. But it is absolutely crucially important. Thank you. Okay. And others to next. Uh,
3: to the- Thank you. Just um, Following on from the previous question, isn't it... Uh, education as such, and the basic skills like learning to read and count, not tied up with the culture as well, and that's all involved in the play. What value do we give to play? And I think more and more my feeling is, I haven't done research on it, that played, although as I think you indicated it, creativity, yes, is praise, yes, let's be creative, creative but In a way, all the conditions to allow kids, particularly adults as well, to be creative are removed by the culture that we live in now, which is a market, economy, culture.
2: Yeah, I mean... uh, uh, But you think about these things. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's one of the things I was alluding to. Because we can't immediately quantify... Um, the value of play, because maybe the value of play only really becomes apparent um, perhaps um, two or three years later um, in somebody's behaviour, in their attitude towards other people, in terms of uh, the way that they are, you know, the kind of skills that they they, they are able to to bring to certain kinds of problems. Then um, the concept of play um, has almost kind of vanished. Um, uh, because because we can't quantify it. And and that's that's a huge huge pity. And it's a very very damaging paradox, as I said, at the the heart of of education and, indeed, in wider society. People dismiss play because they think that it is a leisure activity. if you read uh upon Educational Psychology, if you read Jean Piaget, for example, I mean, play is absolutely critical um, uh, element um, of learning. It's a bedrock of learning. Um, but I mean, from this, from Great Britain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Donald Winnicott,
3: I mean.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and and so, um, but, but all of this has sort of been submerged by the short-termism um that uh, a free market economy um uh, imposes upon lots of different areas of cultural um and professional activity um and uh, that's that's a great that's a great pity uh, w- i mean I th- one of the things that w- I, i'm also say- saying in my talk is we actually need to rediscover what social value is because we don't have any criteria for social value anymore. We only have criteria for economic um, activity and economic value. Yes, there are plenty of people who are interested in the idea of community. Um, there are plenty, many communities that are interested in, 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 in themselves as communities. And we kind of pay lip service to that. And, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of good work that, that does happen around. But it's sort of voluntary work. It's not... Part of the values of our society, Uh the common values that we hold together. And I think what we need to do is develop a different narrative, another another narrative of value which has been obliterated over the last 20, 30 years. We need to rediscover that and we need to articulate it and we need to privilege it. Um, And it's only if we do that that all of these elements can come back up to the surface again. Um, And I'm I'm sure they would... um, you know, bring a huge amount of benefit, um, both to our children and to ourselves. I'll, I'll just tell one story about uh, play, um, which I actually referenced in, in the essay that Brian mentioned uh, for The Herald. Um, a couple of years ago, there were uh, a couple of Russian scientists at uh, the uh, University of Manchester who started playing around with a pencil and um, a piece of sellotape. And what they discovered through um, this play... Um, is graphene, uh, which is a, a, a new product, which um, will be w- is immensely strong um, and imme- highly highly conductive, and, and has applications, um, uh, you know, right across um, industrial uh, production. Um, these guys were, were were playing the whole time. I mean, that's what they were doing. They they didn't have. An outcome in mind. They were just seeing what would, what would happen if they did X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. And the Nobel Prize uh, committee, which uh, awarded them Nobel Prizes for their work, recognized that. And they said, you know, sometimes these guys just allowed their brains to meander off meaninglessly. You know, you know, without a particular object in mind. These guys were just playing. One of the things that
3: horrifies me is at sort of Halloween and Christmas, all these kids dressed up in these very expensive fancy costumes that are pushed on them from, you know, the retail sector. When my kids were wee, even when when I was wee, you never bought a fancy costume. You made it with the kids. And that's all taken away from them now. And even the West End Festival, the big parade that we had every year, for some reason it's not happening this year, possibly because of cutbacks, But all these youth groups that used to get together and make these terrific costumes, that's going to start to disappear unless we get money back into community groups and young mothers groups.
2: Yes, I think that's a very good point. I mean, I think that is one of the kind of obscene things that that happens is that, you know, all of the, you know, all of these occasions of childhood, of fun and of play are commodified. Um, You know, uh, we start getting advertising for Christmas in October. I mean, it drives me nuts. You know, I mean, I can't stand it. Um, and so um, what we're being essentially asked to do is to, um, it, what's essentially happening with these occasions, whether it's Christmas or Halloween or any other occasion, is the occasion itself is, becomes completely hollow. There's nothing to the occasion. Because if there were something to the occasion uh, of, Holly, uh, of Halloween, it would mean so much more to a child to construct their own, uh, uh, get up you know um, instead it is a buy and go out get up um, and that's a very hollow uncreative experience um, that's I think particularly worrying thank
1: you okay that's me now um, crikey I don't know where to start <laughs> um, I've been a teacher for 36 years um, from and I've taught in nursery abroad and I've um taught in further education here as well, and I'm astonished at some of the things that you have said. Um, I wonder how many of us have been in a school recently. Can you raise your hand if you have crossed the threshold of a primary school recently? Okay, thank you. A secondary school? Okay, have we got more teachers here? Can you keep your hand up if you're a teacher? Thank you. Oh, I was the teacher? Okay, um, you were comparing us to Finland. I suspect in Finland the state system is backed up with a very um, efficient kindergarten system.
2: Indeed, so, in fact, you can only teach uh, in kindergarten if you have a degree at university. Yes. Okay.
1: Well, that's good. Um, my thoughts are pretty random here, so please forgive me. Um, but I suspect in Scotland, if children weren't to go to school till they were seven, the vast med- well. I, I, quite a number of them would be roaming the streets um, and not safe and they would not be safe and uh, or they would be up to mischief
2: <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but let me, let me let me say that I'm not proposing that No, no, okay, no. <laughs> right. um, you know, okay. Um, I think you. that they should be in an environment yes, um, whether it's uh, kindergarten or the first two years of primary, where they're not taught mm-hmm. formally and mm-hmm. where they're allowed to explore their world and develop a verbal intelligence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um I think with with introduction of a curriculum curriculum for excellence, we were all a bit wary of it. But I think now that it is up and running, teachers are seeing the positive sides of it. And children, in my experience, are now actively engaged in their learning. Whether they are playing, whether they are doing an activity, whether they are learning maths, whether they are learning value education... And my experience is that there is an engagement there which perhaps was missing before. Um,
2: I would would certainly agree with that. And I think, you know, the curriculum for excellence does move us to a much better place. Yes. I mean, I should say in my talk, you know, I'm being deliberately kind of, you know, um, I'm I'm trying to provoke.
1: Yes, of course you are. Yes, you've succeeded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would also say that some children also in my experience, are ready to read at the age of four and five. And I think if that is stifled when children are younger.
2: Again, I'm not proposing that. Um, and, <laughs> and indeed, in the, in the Finnish uh, model, if a child wants to learn to read uh, between mm-hmm. the ages of five and seven at, at kindergarten, yes. they're certainly encouraged to do so. Okay, uh, my, own, my own wife, who's Swedish, um, learned to read uh, before she went up to school for formal education.
1: Okay, thank you. Also, I think um, for those of you that are not involved in education, I think teacher training and probationer training is more rigorous than before. So our staff, that are, the staff that are staffing schools, um, I would say, are more competent than previously. Um, and I think the curriculum in Scotland is expanding so much so that um, we are now. Taking care of financial education with children, sexual health education, relationships, value education. You mentioned values recently, but I think value education is a big thing that, um, my experience in prime, I've been teaching primary seven for about 14 years now. And these children discuss citizenship, responsibilities, um, anything to do, you know, they, they really grasp it and are engaged in this. And we are, churning out children from many, many secondary schools later on in their their career, and they are wonderful. These young people are wonderful, Um, and I think we we, we can be down in education a lot and not look at the successes that we do have. Well, Um,
2: I I would certainly agree there's a huge amount of good practice going around, and, and, you know, as I said, I was being deliberately... I I know, yes. Uh, But, but you know, the the central fact, though, however, is that 10,000 children a year... Mm-hmm. Are coming out of our educational system without any qualifications. Yes. Now, there's, there's no way in which you can describe uh, that as a successful educational mm-hmm. system.
1: Yep. And is that? I don't know the statistics for previously when we were all at school. I don't know the statistics whether that's an improvement or not, or whether that's a backward step.
2: That, um, that percentage has remained more or less the same yep. over the mm-hmm. last 40 years.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, I do. I do realise that that um, that children their general knowledge is one thing that they do fall down on nowadays, where we would, our general knowledge would tend to be good, but a, a child in secondary school was asked the other day, um, <laughs> this is quite funny, what is it, that the highest mountain in, in the UK, and they said Mount Vernon, because <laughs> Mount Vernon was the, the, the mountain that they knew, <laughs> you know, but they didn't realise it wasn't a mountain to start with. You know, I mean, there are anecdotes of that, but I mean, I... I I have um, kind of slagged off um, a curriculum for excellence recently, but I really think it is the way forward, but agreeing with somebody somebody mentioned something about teachers, I think it, maybe it was yourself I think the autonomy of teachers and teachers being given their place by the authority um, is, is paramount in this happening, and the, the autonomy of teachers has got to be recognized. <laughs>
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you you can't get any successful working environment which doesn't um, pass an element of trust um, to to people who are working in that environment. Um, And um, so I I completely agree with that. Um, And indeed, you know, the way in which Finland has constructed this successful system has taken 20 or 30 years, but it wasn't imposed on teachers. It was developed with teachers, um, and teachers in, in, uh, in Finland are not subjected to these terrifying HMI inspections, um, to uh, constantly reporting on, on what they're doing, and so on and so forth. In fact, so much so that that hour less that they teach every day is spent developing co- collegi- collegiality, developing strategies for the school, sharing best practice... You know all of all of these kinds of things, which actually, at the end of the day, improve the school hugely.
0: Thank
1: you very much. Time here, and then we'll come to the uh, You've talked so much about Finland's uh, performance, but how do you know whether the performance of the students or is due to the education, former educational system in the? From the school, or is actually due to the culture, the environment, maybe some other factors that is different from play or the educational
0: yeah. system.
2: Well, um, the uh, uh, measurements that I'm using um, are uh, widely, you know, widely accepted. There, um, uh, there, uh, they ha- there's a system that uh, the OECD uh, operates. It's called PISA, P-I-S-A, and it's it 's an acronym I can never remember um, it 's it's well worth googling it because you 'll come up with the reports. I mean all this information is publicly available you know um, you just have to, to to look at the stats. Um, so that's, that's the kind of system of measurement that I'm, I'm, I'm using, as it were, and it's widely accepted. Um, yes, I mean, this is, this is you know, uh, the, the, the wider picture is very, very important. and This is why I said things about the way in which the free market operates in Britain. Um, this is why I, I said things about social value instead of economic value. And this is why I said that um, Scandinavia, in Scandinavia as opposed to Britain, Everybody, no matter how rich or poor, uh, and there's a great deal less eco- uh, um, inequality in those societies. In other words, the gap between rich and poor is much much narrower. Um, everybody ascribes to the same set of social values about the kind of society they want and about the kind of ways that they will go about in, in um, you know implementing that society and nurturing that society. Um, we we just don't have that. Um, and the reason we don't have it is because of this kind of dog-eat-dog, um, free-market um, ideology which has obliterated everything else in in Britain. We need to find another narrative. Um, I'm not against people making money. I'm not a raving communist, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I might sound like one, um, but I'm, I'm not – um, I believe in capitalism. People need to make money. Um, I'm not against that. Um, but it's gone beyond, you know, the ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's gone to gone towards a situation where we're all just looking out for ourselves. Our idea of community is debased. We're not looking at the wider picture. Um, and there's, again, a huge amount of evidence. There's a fantastic book called The Spirit Level. Um, which uh, is a massive comparative study of European nations that shows that more equal nations are more productive. So, you know, this short-termism of the free market ideology is actually destructive of itself. Um, You know, uh, people are happier, people are better educated, people live longer. You know, we're sitting here in Glasgow, in the east end of Glasgow, life expectancy for a male is 57 years old. You yeah, there are households there in Parkhead um, and in the, the whole of the East End where over 60% of these households are jobless. You know, uh, how, how, can, how can this happen? I mean, you know, um, and at the same time, Glasgow's reaction to this at a macro level is to sell itself as a shopping center. You know, that's obscene. You know, uh, what, is the, what does that mean to a jobless household? Yeah, you know, it means nothing. You know, it's actually a kick in the teeth. So, you know, we have we have to we have to 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 to, to develop a narrative about the kind of society that is actually acceptable to us within civilised values and within social values. And the trouble is, we're not talking about social values most of the time. We're talking about economic values, which is why in Glasgow it sells itself as a shopping centre. You know. Um, so it's about the whole culture, um, and and the most the most telling aspect of that is, as I mentioned, the number three the the, the the you know number three in the top kind of professions that people aspire to is to become a primary teacher, and if you want to become a primary teacher, uh, you've got a twenty percent chance of doing that, because the competition is so high. You can be a you can be a a, a, you can come out of university with a a, with a a first, and you can get rejected as a as as a as a primary teacher Um, because during the interview you haven't said the right thing. You're not clear about why you want to become an educator or whatever. It's not good enough, and um, that's about how we value these things and about a common understanding of value.
4: Your final point actually probably sort of leads into what I'm... It's more of a searching question than a point, but if education leads to these sorts of ambitions, and obviously not everyone can actually reach them, then do you have any views on the effects on society of having such a perhaps over-educated populace (laughs) if no one can see the value of working with pig iron? (sighs)
2: I think, it's, I think it's horses for courses. I mean, and I think this is always the dilemma. But it is horses for courses. There's, there's a very famous cartoon, and the cartoon shows um, a teacher sitting behind a desk like this one, um, a row of animals, and an enormous tree behind them. And the row of animals is um, a lion, a rat, a monkey, a giraffe, and an elephant. And the teacher says to his class, right, today we're going to learn how to climb that tree. Uh, how does a giraffe climb a tree? You know, just can't do it. So it, it is about personalization. It's about understanding that people have different attributes and different skills and different operating levels, I think. And it's about um, then constructing a, respons- a responsive system to to, to that. Um, as for the wider question of equality and who does the jobs and, and all of that, that's a, 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 terrib- a terribly difficult one to answer, uh, and I'm, I, I don't think I have the answer.
0: Okay. Uh, at the
4: other end of that table, I see... Hello. Uh, thank you for the talk. Uh, it's got, again, sort of just bear with me. Just first, sort of quite a general question. You're talking a lot about enlightenment values and the individual and, you know, trying to bring the most of that individual. Do you not see any contradiction between the two there? That a lot of what makes a person the individual doesn't come from the rational. It comes from the irrational. It comes from our sense of identity, our sense of beliefs, our parents' beliefs, our cultural beliefs, which in enlightenment values that maybe you're trying to instill in the child, you actually might be eroding that individuality.
2: Uh, Can you you repeat the question? Because I I, I didn't hear you very well, and and it's a complicated
4: question. I'll speak more into the microphone. Thanks. I just, you talk about individuality and sort of nourishing that individuality and about the enlightenment values, you know, a personal sort of individual relationship with reason and, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't think there's any contradiction between those enlightenment values and trying to nourish that individuality. That A lot of the individuality we have doesn't come from the rational side of things, doesn't come from rational inquiry. Our individuality, a lot of it comes from the faith, the beliefs, the culture that, you know, which we imbibe from the culture around us and is passed on. And that the individual, the, indeed the thought of the the rationality of the enlightenment program can be a quite big danger to that individuality in, in the current world. Yes, I mean, I
2: think, you know, uh, that, that's a very good point. You know, rationality becomes, um, instrumental, um, when, when it's pushed too far. What I would say to that is, My attitude towards you has to be rational uh, in terms of um, the kinds of values that I bring to my interaction with you. But part of that value is also understanding that you may be driven not only by rationality but also by passion um, and from the subconscious or whatever. So my rationality gives you the space to be who you are. It doesn't instrumentalize what
4: I believe your behaviour ought to be. sort of brings me to the second point I'm to make, which leads on to the, the Scandinavian model, the Finnish model you were talking about, where you, you're, you're putting this forward as a model where you have a much higher level of education, much higher literacy, but you, you then agree that the reason that is possible is because everyone already agrees on the values. I mean, if you, you succeed in creating a system that makes everyone think in the same way, is that really a great tri- you know, agrees on values, agrees on what we should be inculcating? Is that really such a great triumph of individuality or is it the defeat of individuality? Only if your idea of value
2: is itself instrumental, fixed and inflexible. Um, I think that, you know, what, 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 what happens in, um, in these kinds of situations is that we set up a situation where people can then go on to be who they are or to do what they want to do. So the, the, along with values, a part of the va- package of values is, is the uh, idea that a person is relatively free uh, to make uh, what they will um, of the opportunities that are in front of them. So um, I'm not, uh, the, you know, if everybody agrees on these values, they agree on general values, right? Um, they don't agree on specific instances of behaviour, and so there is a freedom there that is that is that is um, built into the idea of value and not a prison.
4: Okay. Have I, have yeah, uh, yeah, that does help. But- Um, So you, one last thing, I mean, then your sort of, your belief, your, your valuing of the equality of that sort of social inclusion, is that itself a fixed belief? I mean, what, if someone questions that, what would, what, you know, is it okay to question that within the system, or is that just a given? Well, no, it's in
2: opposition with, um, other value systems, um, as I'm just... I mean, for you though. Oh, for me. well, it's 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 fixed as a as a moral ethical value um, in my professional life and indeed in my personal life, um, fixed in in the sense that um, that's what I believe in. Um, I you know I believe in social justice. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't believe that that was important. Um, however, the expression of uh, how I there then go on to, to deliver programs which are consonant with that value um, are, again, not instrumental. So I'm not trying to stigmatize people. I'm not trying to say, you must. I'm not bothering people if they don't want to be bothered. Um, that's a counterproductive um, uh, thing to do in, in, in any case. Um, so um, the way in which my values play out it's in a relatively open open-ended way and not an instrumentalized way if you like so and and also you know that's just um, common sense um, i can't make uh you um, do certain things any more ultimately than i can make my child do certain things you know that you know um, that, that there's a there's an interplay uh between people um, which rests eventually on consensus
4: yeah, can leave it. Thank, thank, you.
2: Um, across here, yeah.
3: I think that myself, coming from Czech Republic originally, you know, I never had any problem with um, primary school education, whether it was with my children 30 years ago or my grandson five years ago. Where I think children are let down is in the secondary school. Firstly, they are streamlined far too early. They divide it into these three categories. The bottom one is the foundation. Now, the foundation children are referred to as downist in many schools and are looked down upon by their peers. These children then leave school at 16 as a failures because, you know, they know that they haven't achieved. Then there is the fact that um, at 16, some of them are only 15 and a half, you drop only to five subjects. I mean, these people go to university. Why should their education be just so narrowed down to five subjects? That's ridiculous as well, I think, you know, and I think, as I said, it's the secondary school that
2: children's done. Yeah, I mean, we specialize uh, in, in education much, much sooner, much earlier than uh, they do um, in many other countries. Um, and I would argue one of the reasons we're doing that is because we have to get our productive worker bees um, lined up um, into their various streams of activity so we can get them contributing as quickly as possible um, to to the economy. I think, you know, that, that's kind of what I mean when I say we have to rethink and redefine what we actually mean by education. And that's the drama uh, of knowledge that, that that I was talking about before. You know, there's constantly, you know, what is education, what's it for? Um, we instru- we've we instrumentalized education um, because, again, uh, it needs to be measurable. Um, it needs to be productive. You know, the idea of... Um, I mean, it's very very relevant to Scotland because uh, Scotland developed an idea of a liberal education. You know, a liberal education which was valuable in and of itself. Why was it valuable in and of itself? Not necessarily because you could commodify it, but because it was good for society as a whole. Because it made uh, individuals who understood their place in society, their relationship to other people, through institutions and through uh exchange um you know through all of these all of these enlightenment values as expressed by smith and by hume and uh, and uh, ferguson and and others you know and we've lost that that idea of liberal education um you know precisely for the reasons i've outlined uh,
5: could i just ask you um i think at the beginning of the talk it seemed to me that The whole question of people being enlightened, knowing anything, was much restricted. I mean, they couldn't read, they didn't have access to anything, and the whole process was to, uh, only those who were in the elite could actually control it. Of course, the story of history since then has been of the ever-widening scope and access of opportunity, in fact. uh, And and we kind of disliked it because more and more, uh, certainly modern nations, have pursued this goal of, of education and far more people now go to university, for example. Now, there may be underlying questions about what does it mean to be a university now, but we've had that, I think, in previous talks. But the thing is, it's, it's been seen to be a good thing. And, you know, I mean, I, mean, I taught for about 37 years in, in further education. Now, the framework of further education largely is, of course, to do with the vocational side, but nonetheless... They did have a wider view. You, you mentioned, I think, the social inclusion agenda, which has been a very high priority in latter years. And more and more, when colleges were devising their um, strategic plan, I mean, they, they had all that bureaucratic stuff too, but they did take account of all sorts of needs. Now, some of these were vocational, some of these were definitely economic, but others were to widen opportunity in all sorts of ways. So, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's been much that has been very good that's come out of education. Now, one of the, the things you said earlier was, of course, about the, the fear, the more that, the more that it had access would it in fact upset the, the established order. Now, more interestingly, I think even now in the latter days, never mind the book revolution, what about the internet revolution? And where literally it seems revolutions are fired by messages on Twitter and on Facebook. And maybe we've not just let the thing out of the box, it's escaped into the, into the ether altogether. But you know, I wonder where this is all going to take us. But. My own view is that overall it's, been, it's done more good than harm. Now, I'm not saying you said it did harm, but we've, it's, it's developed ever wider and ever greater, and I don't know that we can stop it.
2: Oh, yeah, no, certainly think that we shouldn't stop it. I mean, um, I, you know, again, I was, I, you know, kind of uh, being polemical, if you like, um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I, I do agree with you that there's a, there's a huge amount of progress that has taken place and, and a lot of good things that do, that, that do take place. I mean, I see the sort of um, revolution of, of uh, information available on the Internet as um, uh, Gutenberg's legacy. You know, uh, you know, it's just another version of portable type. You know, so uh, as soon as you get portable type, you can't control production, all right? And and that's what in 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 uh, you know uh, early modern um, Europe they were trying to do. Um, so you know, um, there's there's a whole line of of stuff that comes from Gutenberg, um, which eventually ends up in Twitter. You know, um, and and the social effect that 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 kind of thing can have, and that's all all terrifically good. Nevertheless, there's still the dilemma at the heart of the relationship between the state and the individual, um, which, for example, we're seeing being played out in Egypt today. Um, you know, how much freedom do you give? and how much control do you need to exert you know and what is the social compact uh between the individual and the state um, you know um, the break up of nation states um, towards, you know, the, 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 after the First World War, um, the, 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 the Russian Revolution, the rise of of, of communism, um, of all of these kinds of things have been uh, attempts to redefine um, the relationship between the individual and the state, and it's still going on and, and still will always go on, I think.
0: Is there anyone who hasn't asked a question or made a comment... Um, Yes, we'll come to you. I, I know that you've had one go already. If there's more time, we'll come back to you
2: again. Uh, this gent- Thank you. The Jesuits are known as the intelligentsia of the Catholic Church, and it's said of the Jesuits, give, uh, show me, give me the child for the first seven years of their life, and I'll show you the man. I'm just wondering, would you agree with the premise of the first seven years of their life, but perhaps disagree entirely with the outcome?
0: <laughs>
2: <coughs> um, is is that what the Jesuit said? I I, th- I thought what the Jesuit said was, "Give me a child before the age of seven, and I will show you a man. I'll show you the man." Um, I, I, you know, um, that's all about discipline and 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 shaping of 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 the the, the personality and of the intellect, um, and certainly, um, you know, uh, the the standard of of, of uh, jesuit learning and, and thinking is very very high indeed i 'm um, not saying that uh, educational systems shouldn 't be rigorous I think they should they should aim for the very highest standards um, I, I, I think that that 's entirely compatible with what i 'm saying i 'm not uh trying to say that the the uh, education you know the education we provide to people should be kind of free form and sort of you know 60s liberal kind of thing i do think there's a place for discipline um, i do even think that there's a place for punishment um, uh but um, not in the ways that i've described in, in 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 my talk and i and i do think that you know uh just as creativity uh uh, being imaginative um doing things that apparently don't result in anything are good i think that needs to be balanced against uh being rigorous being disciplined having self discipline all of those kinds of things are tools that will enable you to succeed and they are also tools that will enable able to enable you to succeed in play you know so these aren't in- incompatible um, concepts they're, 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 they're the same thing they're just on the on, on opposite ends of a spectrum but that spectrum is connected um, and in order to get the very best results as a human being if you like as, a, as an individual um, you need the ability to play around but you also need the ability to focus and be self-disciplined
0: Um, it's almost half past two so I think we have to draw it to a close here Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard the the Radio 4 programme series that's on just now Michael Mopurgo's uh, doing it about a lot of what we've been talking about here today and in the opening programme last week he described what we're talking about as a ferocious debate which is going on just now in the nations of the UK and we've had a wee bit of that this afternoon can I ask you to thank again Mark for being with us this afternoon (laughs) Sorry that I didn't come back to some of you who had a previous go, but um, we needed to get everybody in there. Just one or two little cross-selling announcements. First of all, uh, some of you may have been here a few years ago when we had James McMillan here talking about music and faith. Um, He's up at Courtiers at half-past four, if anybody wants to go up and hear him talking about the same sort of thing again. Um, So that's half-past four up at Cotier's Theatre. Um, Just a reminder that today's session will be on the website of our church, hillheadbaptistchurch.co.uk, later this week. And and actually Mark has kindly agreed to make a a PDF of his lecture available as well, so that will be there for download. Just a reminder of the other events that are taking place here in the Trice. They're on the table in front of you. Please tell others about it. And of course the Philosophy Cafe will be here again next Sunday with Robin Marsk from the Scottish Poetry Library. Uh, So it really just concludes to say we should all thank each other because, of course, Mark, very kind to turn up today, but if we didn't turn up, there would be no event. So in our final thanks to Mark, we thank each other as well.